today's show, we've got a run through of the headlines, best win, worst loss, numbers you need to know, and a new award for NFL Week 10. I'll do my college football top 12. And we've got Willie Colon talking to Antonio Pierce as the Raiders' long-term head coach, that Niners pass rush, and a bunch of other fun things, including the Aaron Rodgers return date. We've got life advice, and we want to remind you that it's live show week. We're in Vegas this Wednesday at Jimmy Kimmel's Comedy Club before the big F1 race. So if you're going to be there, we still have some space available, but you might want to do it quick. Get your tickets at jimmykimmelscomedyclub.com. Doors open at 8. Show starts at 9. Come hang out with me, Kyle, Sarudi, Todd McShay, and more. That is coming up on Wednesday. And a reminder, no show Wednesday morning. We will release the live show as an episode uh, probably Thursday morning. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high speed Wi Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more. Book direct at lq.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. NFL Week 10, we've got headlines, numbers, best, worst, loss, and basically it was the field goal walk-off week. Let's start with San Francisco. Nice win in Jacksonville. You could say that after everything they've gone through. 34-3, the final score, and Debo is back. San Francisco's numbers with Debo in the offense, 35.5 points per game. Without him, 17 points per game. You could see immediately him not even getting a touch, but being on the field, being in motion, and scaring the defense, opening other things up for McCaffrey. Um, This could be a bit like what Cincinnati had going back a couple weeks ago with their nice win at San Francisco, so a little connection there, where you're looking at a team and going, hey, we're good. Enough of this. We need this one bad. They had the bye week, so it wasn't the normal shorter week of going West Coast to East Coast. And they basically reminded all of us of what they're capable of when they're healthy and ready to go. And that's why, despite Purdy's struggles, I don't think we thought, okay, at the very least, like you don't expect five picks in three games, a couple of those just being straight up bad decisions, bad throws or bad decisions. Like that was the thing that granted, it's not like he's going to be clean the entire year, never thrown an interception, but it was happening in a, in a bulk setting there, despite him not being somebody, especially in this offense, looking to take the top off of it. So, you know, why are the, the interceptions spiking up? It's just probably a bad stretch for him. And they have Debo back, which just opens up all sorts of other things because the defense is worried about Debo Samuel. Um, this game was 10 zip. And then Jacksonville's next five possessions were a fumble, field goal, interception, fumble, interception, and that made it for, uh, 34 to 3. So we mentioned the Purdy pick part of it. Uh, a game like this is really just why it's hard to quit a team like this with this much talent. Jacksonville can now go in the doubt bin for a week. Um, it's their worst home loss since losing to the Rams in 2019. Jacksonville coming in had some nice defensive numbers. 
but a lot of it's been their plus minus. I'm not going to get really worried about them, even though you know we had talked them up because basically every one of these contenders has some kind of loss that looks really bad, and then everybody moves on from it and then gets excited about it again. But the Trevor Lawrence stuff, I think, is at least fair to go. What is he? Is he actually going to be somebody who can carry a franchise through the downtimes? And I'm just talking about like week to week. Like the best quarterbacks figure out a way with not a great defense, a turnover here and there to get you back into the game somehow. And he was not able to do that. And a pass rush for San Francisco, what I'd say personnel wise, has been disappointing for the most part this year. Five sacks in this one, and they wreak havoc all game long, leading to some of those mistakes. So not necessarily looking at Jacksonville entirely different because we could do this every single week with some of these teams that we think are supposed to be good. Detroit, they beat the Chargers in a shootout in Los Angeles, 41-38. They're the two seed in the NFC today. And much like the contenders we've talked about, like they had their what-the-fuck loss that was 38-6 to the Ravens. Um, but Kansas City's got theirs against Denver. Philly's got theirs against the Jets, which was really about the turnover situation. So just keep reminding ourselves throughout this journey of an NFL season that even the best teams, the teams that we really like and talk about the most, they're probably going to have one or two moments where you're like, what is wrong with them? And that is the NFL. But Detroit, nothing wrong with them. We're not going to worry about the defense right now um, because their offense is rolling. Sixth in points, third in yards per play, and they had 101 rushing yards before contact against this Chargers defense, which is what it's supposed to be. Uh, and that's a season high of yards before contact. They're also fourth and five on fourth downs. The reason I bring that up, because the biggest play of the game was maybe a fourth down conversion that led to the game-winning field goal for Detroit. So at 38-38, Chargers have fought all the way back into this thing. Um, they have a fourth and two at the Chargers' 26-yard line with 147 left. Dan Campbell, who we learned was a captain with the Dallas Cowboys as a backup, from Tony Romo, don't see that a lot, decides he's going to throw it. Laporta, who's been incredible for the Lions, makes the catch, they convert it, they run the clock down to be able to walk off and kick the game-winning field goal. So at the 26-yard line, you're talking about a 43-yard field goal. And I'll admit, as I'm watching the game, going, eh, this is one of those deals where you get a little too cute. And of course, you know what do we, what do we always remind everybody? If you're going to screw up and be the same it's way better than screwing up and being different and this is that spot where a coach goes well if i go for him for the two and i don't get it and the chargers get the ball back because they were going to probably score which is another reason why i want to run the clock because their defense couldn't do anything with the way herbert and that group had gotten things going um you're leaving yourself open for much more criticism by going for it on fourth down as opposed to just missing a kick from 40 plus yards out but this was something that Campbell has thought a lot about because if you go back to last year, week three, Detroit was up 24-21 against Minnesota with 114 left. It was a fourth and four, and they decided to kick the field goal. They missed the field goal. Cousins goes like 50, 60 yards and three plays for the game-winning touchdown, and then Campbell was irate about it, about his own decision. This was his quote from last year, week three. Quote, I just, I hate it. I just hate the decision. I wish I would have put it back in the hands offensively and done, and so be it. I just wish I would have done that. Well, he had the opportunity. It wasn't apples to apples because the score was a little different there, but that's what he's going to do. And it also probably speaks a little bit to how, how not scared he was of that Chargers defense to go ahead and doing it.
All right, best win. There's a few options, but I'm going to go with Cleveland, 33-31 at Baltimore. The biggest reason why is because Cleveland needed something like this offensively and because it's Baltimore, one of the best teams in the NFL. And it was one of those games where you're looking at the score and you're like, all right, well, I don't know if I have to lock into that one. It's 17-3. It's 24-9. It's 31-17. And then all of a sudden, Cleveland gets a touchdown. It's 31-24, whatever. Not a big deal. But then there's a pick six. They missed the extra point, and you're like, how is this the game at 31-30? Well, it's a game because Watson got things going finally for a long stretch in the second half, and it was ugly in the beginning. Second play of the game, he throws a pick six, and I'm like, this guy is so bad right now. Like, I can't believe he's this bad, and I know I say it every single week with him. He was 6-20 of in the first half, but he went 14-14 of in the second half, Mixed in some runs that were huge. I think Patrick Queen was trying to decapitate him at one point there on that sideline play. And apparently the injury stuff from this game is that Watson has an ankle injury. And you could see numerous times him kind of rotating his right shoulder, trying to get it back to where he would feel good about it. But that 14 of 14 means something. It means something because it has been so bad. It's this sliver of hope for Browns fans of going, maybe, just maybe, this will work as opposed to what so far has looked like the worst financial decision in NFL history. This is a Baltimore defense that was allowing the second fewest yards per game in the NFL behind number one, Cleveland. 262 is the average going in, so it's bumped up a bit because Cleveland was able to, it wasn't just the turnovers in this thing from Baltimore, which again, not a huge deal. They had their bad game. You know, Lamar's not going to be perfect every single week, but 373 total yards against this defense is doing something. So again, the lesson in this one, at least, is just anything, even if it's not real, anything to at least make yourself feel better that he could turn this around because it's been so bad. All right. Worst loss, is it Cincinnati? Because we felt like they got things rolling again. Uh, I don't think losing to Houston at home, walk-off field goal is bad. Houston's five and four. We'll get to Stroud here in a bit. But they were down 27-17. And that was the first of two interceptions for Burrow. Now, let me talk about quarterbacks here a bit. The reason I admire what Burrow does is he's wired to know, okay, we're down two scores. I need to press the issue here a little bit. There are too many quarterbacks, which is amazing even at the NFL level that you'll see this, where they're down two scores and they're playing like they're down one score. And if there's a quarterback that I doubt, and like, I'm not sure about this guy. I don't really like him. I don't think he's the long-term guy. He's probably going to get replaced within two years. And that's the way I watch it, right? I'll just watch and be like, is this guy really one of those guys? And, you know, right or wrong with whoever you're watching long-term. But specific to that moment, like if I doubt you as a quarterback and you're acting and you're taking the three and five-yard chunks and you're down two scores and the clock is an issue, then that confirms to me that I'm I'm right about you because you're confirming that you're not even that into yourself. And Burrow is wired in such a way that he's, he's going to play to score in game situation. Now, the first pick, you start looking at the clock, you're like, all right, how many more possessions are you going to get? Kind of that seven, eight minute range, you're thinking probably two, but they got the ball back under 13 minutes in the fourth quarter and he throws his first pick. So, I admire that he's going to press the issue. He's going to play the position the way it needs to be played based on what the game circumstances are. But that pick was on a first down. They get the, uh, it wasn't a three and out. They get a punt. Then he throws another pick at the Houston 14. And then that one was on first down. So that's the fair criticism on Burrow there. It's not just, hey, the guy threw two picks late. It's that you threw them despite pressing the issue, knowing he needed the two scores. 
you threw them on first downs. But Houston lets you right back into it. They throw a pick, which was a, just a bad throw by Stroud. Uh, didn't see the coverage underneath. Didn't see um, the linebacker. And actually, no, that was a defensive back, Britt. And so they score a touchdown. They actually go three and out. Cincinnati's got a game-tying field goal. But yet Houston, and this is my favorite part of Stroud, favorite thing for the entire season, is that he's not going to be somebody who's going to like second-guess himself. He had to make some throws to move it 56 yards, and they have a game-winning field goal. So I really don't see that as a bad loss, but I just wanted to go over that again because Stroud, I don't know if he can win MVP. I don't know if Houston could have a quarterback. You know, What if they don't even make the playoffs? Are the voters actually going to vote for him? Is he actually the most valuable considering what he's done and not a ton of weapons for him there? Um, the offensive line is probably better than Carolina's offensive line, and I don't think Bryce Young is in any MVP conversations. But the fact that any of this is happening and it's not met with an eye roll is just a credit to what he's done as they pull another one off with a last uh, last drive there. All right, worst loss then, because I'm not going to say that it's Cincy to Houston. I'm just not. Does anyone even care about New England anymore? I don't even think they do. That one was the early game. They're now 2-8, and eight, and I mentioned this um, last week, where if you look at how the spreads... The spreads are almost set with this idea that maybe New England is going to get back into it or turn things around, that they can't be this bad. Uh, they should have probably won that game outright. Mac had an awful, awful pick again. I know that sounds familiar, but they're 2-8 and eight against the spread. Let's finish with a number you should know and an award. Here's a number for you. This is Mike Sando, pick six column, The Athletic. We love him. We love having him on. Uh, Pittsburgh is now 6-3. and three. They beat Green Bay. Not a great day for Jordan Love. Pittsburgh has been outgained in every game this season. They're the only team with a winning record this late in the season while being outgained in every game in NFL history. And I swear when I watch the Steelers, I'm like, they're home again? Like, do they start with eight straight at home? No, that's not true. But they've played six of nine at home. We keep waiting for the dam to break. But they keep winning. Awards. I was trying to figure out something that made it seem like Arizona was trying to do two things at once, but I didn't really like the award titles that I was coming up with here because Kyler Murray is back out there. They get the win against Atlanta. He had some really impressive moments. I'm also scared to death he's going to get hurt every single time he drops back or runs around. But they owe him all this money. We covered this stuff last week about potential moves off of some of these quarterbacks. But then you're also, if you're an Arizona fan, it's like, yay, we get Kyler Murray back. We have a better chance to win the games. Yeah, we just won. But then are we also costing ourselves a chance at Caleb Williams, who I'm still totally on board with despite USC struggles because that place is a mess right now. I don't care what the final score was against Oregon. But if Jonathan Gannon is interviewing for the head coaching gig, and he's done a really good job, at least this team's fighting and responding in spots we didn't expect, Part of him selling himself to this organization is that he can fix Kyler Murray. So is Kyler Murray playing because they're like, look, we're not moving him because Gannon said he could fix him and because we owe him all this cash. We don't want to pay him cash to play quarterback somewhere else. But they also could be doing it to raise his trade value, which would be weird if it worked because it's like, cool, he's worth more in a trade, and now we can't really pick one of the other quarterbacks. I think the simplest thing to do whenever you're thinking these things is go, hey, guess what? They actually don't want to tank. Most of these NFL teams, if not all of them, don't want to tank. And maybe by week 12 or 13, we'll see some weird stuff. But whenever we're like, oh, my God, the, you know, 
Well, the Bears winning actually didn't mean anything because they have Carolina's pick. But you get my point here. Those of us on the outside are way too accepting of NFL teams purposely losing when, in reality, I think Arizona's probably like, we get Kyler back. Let's see what he looks like. We got Gannon here. It's going to be awesome. And that's the long-term plan. And we're not going to try to tailor the end of the season and having Kyler sit while he's healthy, which does nothing for his trade value. Or they just want to keep him because Gannon said he could fix him. So instead, I'm going to call it the confession award. And that goes to Danny Cannell, who played pro football. But the topic is actually about college football. But I just couldn't help myself. I had to get it in there. So Cannell, this past week, in light of all the Michigan news of the Big Ten spending Harbaugh in the Penn State game. We'll get to our college football top 12 a little bit later. Cannell said, quote, you really have to credit the SEC for the way they covered up their cheating and just kept it all in-house. For 30 years, none of this publicly slinging accusations helped them build the conference into the dominant force they are today. All right, college football top 12. If you hate it, don't worry. I probably hate it too. Number one, Georgia. Strength of schedule, an issue. It's definitely been harder a little harder. Hard is the wrong word, but you get the point. With Mizzou, Ole Miss, and then Tennessee still ranked in the AP poll at 21 despite getting trounced by Mizzou, who's really good. Mizzou's a good football team. And we'll have them in the top 12 this week. It's not a gauntlet, but it's a little bit better than people expect. And if they played Bama in the SEC, well, when they play Bama in the SEC title game, I'll be picking Georgia. Number two, Michigan. Can J.J. McCarthy have a Heisman moment by not doing anything? That's basically what happened in this one. It was 24-15. It's not really what the game was. Um... I know it'd be one score game. Technically, if you wanted to say they should have kicked the extra point and worried about two a little bit later, you guys can have that debate. Um, but this is another example of Penn State just not being close to Ohio State, Michigan. I don't give a shit what the score is. Um, Penn State fired their offensive coordinator. There were rumors that the offense has opened up. Now, why am I spending this much time on Michigan uh, or Penn State on the Michigan side? The fact that Michigan ran it 32 straight times tells you how not afraid they were of you the entire time. And when we start digging into resume stuff, although a 13-0 Big Ten team is not going to have to worry about the resume conversation that Florida, uh, Florida State, the winner of the Pac-12, the Texas-Alabama mess that could be on the horizon because there are some things that are potentially happening there. Um, like, here's an example. I think that Washington beating Oregon and Utah is more impressive than Ohio State beating Notre Dame and Penn State. So as I point that out to you, that's why I have Florida State three. The defense is okay. The offense is pretty good yards per play. The strength of schedule isn't great, but the strength of schedule isn't great for Oregon and Mich- or excuse me, Georgia and Michigan in front of them. So that puts Florida State three, Ohio State four. I've got Washington five. Now, I'd probably pick Oregon against Ohio State. I would not pick Washington against Ohio State, but I can't do anything with a head-to-head. The head-to-head has to mean something at this point. I thought about screwing around with it, going, just put Oregon ahead of them. You know that they're better than them. It was a, it was They lost at Washington, but they're better, on and on and on. I know you don't want to hear that, Huskies fans, but it's just not, this is not the way we do things, especially when you go back to that old TCU-Baylor thing. So um, if that puts Oregon... At six, Texas is seventh. This is back-to-back fourth quarters that are a little weird. Outscored 16-3 to against Kansas State. Overtime win. Acceptable because I think Kansas State is good. Outscored 23-3 to, uh, to, to TCU. TCU actually never get the ball back in a situation, though, to go ahead and win that game. That went a little less acceptable. TCU isn't really that good. Remember in the beginning of the year when Colorado beat TCU and it was billed as beat the defending national champ runner-up? That was interesting. All right, number eight, Bama. I think Bama's better than Texas, but I think Texas' win against Bama is the single best thing on anyone's resume in all of college football, including Washington winning that game against Oregon. 
because it was at home, and that game was at Bama. Number nine, Oregon State moving up two spots in the AP from 12 to 10. I have Oregon State ahead of Louisville. I have Mizzou ahead of Louisville. I'm just really impressed with um, what Missouri has been able to do this season. And if you look at what they had going yesterday, uh, I don't know if they're calling um, Cody Schrader, you know, Bo Jackson here with the receiving and the running. He actually looks like a guy who your kid would watch on YouTube that you would hate, but he was incredible. 5'9", 214, thick. Number 11, Oregon State, and we'll put Louisville there at 12. Week 10 in the books, other than Monday Night Football, and a good time to catch up with Willie Colon, who was up late watching his Jets. Uh, I watched basketball, so I'm not your go-to guy on that game. Um, <laughs> I, it's weird, because you, you kind of still get your hopes up every week. And I'm, oh, every I'm curious. Week. All right. I love that. I love that you have that kind of passion. I'm just, I feel bad for you at the same time. It's not even about being, you know, having my hopes up. There's like a legit, um, I guess, feeling in my stomach that they're going to turn it around. Like, I just feel like with this defense the Jets have, that they're going to figure it out time after time. And then, uh, you know, game time comes. I'm looking at the TV. Uh, I'm watching it with Bart Scott, Connor Rogers, who covers the Jets alongside me. And we're all passionate about the possibilities of what the Jets can do. And they do nothing. They do nothing to kind of make me feel like I want to come back to work the next week and actually support this team. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if it's my hopes up, just me and just being having this blind faith that this this team will one day arrive. Uh, so I don't know. It's awkward. Well, I know. I know it is. I just I I'm I don't really have a lot to add to it other than, <laughs> you know, I, I just. The offense is going to be bad. We know the defense is going to be really good. So if you get a turnover here and there, you might be in a game that you otherwise wouldn't be in. But then you have this Rodgers news, which still, like, just because he said he's coming back in mid-December post this Achilles thing, I don't, I mean, what th this would be one of the most absurd things ever if this actually happens and he's able to hold up physically after this kind of injury. And like I said, I tore my Achilles. Like I, I know the process. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not speaking from somebody who you know loves science or loves health. Like I tore my Achilles. It's a hard. It's a hard injury to come back from. I was a guy who literally was you know at the training table, uh, sitting on a stool, uh, you know, with a, a, a towel underneath my foot, grabbing grabbing marbles with my toes, trying to keep my my NFL career alive. It's not. It's not easy. That's why it is. It's awesome from the simple fact that he's able to move and, uh, you know, there's that one clip of him dropping back and, and kind of just playing catch. Um, but, Daryl, you know, I'm glad, like, this Sunday he didn't do it in front of the cameras because I honestly felt like it was becoming a distraction. Um, for a guy who, you know, by all accounts, does his rehab in California and then flies back for the game only to show that he's, you know, he's coming along well. And I'm just like, what is it for? Are you doing this for us? Like, we don't, we don't need it. Like, you don't have this. I think we all know Aaron Rodgers can throw a football. Like, that's that's not that's not important to us. And so, uh, my my, I think if you're a Jets fan, what's important to you is that he doesn't rush through this thing and hurt himself along the way in the process. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of it because I think I've always said this: we can be. 
when it comes to injuries, right? When it comes yeah. to the pain that a football player goes through the course of a game, the course of a season, I think we're two things at once. We are like not understanding of the physical toll of like, hey, how ah. come this team looks like this? And you're like, well, they look like this because it it sucks to play this game sometimes. I mean, it's fun <laughs> and it's awesome, but it's not. It's also hard. Okay, yeah. it's so much harder than all the other stuff. I mean, granted, you could throw hockey in there a little bit, but um, and then at other times, I think we're way too impressed with stuff. You know, like a guy's bleeding, and it'd be like, oh my god, you know, and he's going back in. And you're like, well, of course he's going back in. He's just <laughs> bleeding. Like it's not. Right. I know it looks bad, but it's it's not that big of a deal. And then when Rogers, the first time we saw the footage of him throwing before a game. I'm like, his leg wasn't amputated. Like, this isn't planting. This isn't a seven step. This is this is just a guy who's one of the best who's ever thrown. Like, he's just throwing a football. Like, I'm pretty sure that post an Achilles, like you could you could do something like this. Right. So it, it's funny how we're we we underestimate what it is that you guys do and at the same time completely overreact to something that I'm like, I don't know that that was that big of a deal. Oh, it, 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 listen, when he, the first time I remember, cause you know, I covered the Jets, as you mentioned, uh, on SY, the pre and post, and he walked into the locker room. And I can remember, like, the people in, around us, our cast was like, oh my God, like, you see him walking. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I expect him to walk. Like, you know, it wasn't like he fell off a building. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, <laughs> It was like he's like he's like. Did you see Aaron Rodgers walk into the locker room? And I'm just like, yeah. And what's wild about the situation too is a guy who's been injured and 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 dealt with IR. Like you don't have to go out there. Meaning, like once you're in the locker room, you can easily throw on your sweat, slap down a hot dog, and have a coke and just cheer on the boys until the, the game's over. He's willingly like he's doing this himself. So this is all him in his mind saying, "Today I'm gonna walk into the stadium." I'm going to throw on my clothes. I'm going to be out there for the cameras. I'm going to play a little catch, and I'm going to walk back. By, by the way, you know, I know people who are actually uh, at the game. You know, prior to him, you know, playing catch, he's he, he was limping up and down the sideline. And so I'm just like, what is it all for? Like, you're limping to play catch to tell us you're going to be ready, but you're still limping? And now that you're not limping um, and you're not playing catch, it's just it's just like another circus headline that the Jets just don't need. Um, and it's not nothing against Aaron Rodgers. Is it too much for me at times? Yes, 100%. I can admit that. But it's still like, it's like, what it, it is what it is. So, I don't know. On the uh, other side of that game, and I, I look, I didn't expect to um, spend this much time on, on Raiders Jets, <laughs> and we're not really, because again, I was, I was watching my favorite player on League Pass, Anthony Edwards, take out the Warriors. But get that and, tech for another stare down, which is absolutely atrocious. The NBA has to be shaming themselves, by the way. So. Oh wow, dude, we're crossing we're crossing over into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love Antonio Pierce. I am biased. I I cannot be unbiased. He's as real as, of a dude as it gets, but has this stature in a way that backs it up. You know, there's some dudes, you know, putting a swagger shirt on and hoping it actually like tricks everybody. And <laughs> to me, he's he's the real deal. And I hope this works. And maybe him not being McDaniels is the early bump. It's not a very good team. So I don't know that they're going to go on this run. I don't know how well you would know Antonio. Granted, you know, the New York 
deal, um, both playing different franchises. I know he's older than you too, but uh, I want this to work out. Your thoughts on him right now? I think you. I think the last um, your last statement is pretty much how I feel about it. I want it to work out because I think this is the first time. Um, not being a fan of the Raiders, but I guess actually paying attention to the Raiders that he feels like he matches the identity of the organization um, and the community as a whole. Like Anthony, Antonio Pierce, only a nine year career started with the uh, started with Washington and kind of you know landed over uh, with the Giants, and obviously he had a good run with the Giants winning the Super Bowl. Uh, I think what I like about him is that he he keeps it. I guess it's listen. It's cliche to say he keeps it one hundred, but I think he's garnered the respect uh, you know Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams and and those guys. And sometimes, you know, when you're a guy who played in the league and now you're a coach, it's I think the one crutch you do have is to say, hey man, I've been in your shoes. But there's another there's another aspect of it. If you start with respect, you get with respect. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he he respects those guys. I think he respects their resumes. And I don't get a sense that he's, you know, from and obviously this is me looking from the outside in. Um, I think you get a sense that he he understands that this team wasn't very good and didn't have a lot of hope. Now they have hope. And once you have hope and you have a belief that you can get something and get something done, it goes a long way. And, and listen, they, they have Aiden O'Connell at quarterback. He's the, out of Purdue. He's not a world beater. But the kid is out there scrappy. The whole team's scrappy, decent. Are they going into the playoffs? No. Um, are they going to win the division? Obviously not. But they just look better on film, and that goes a long way. So I want to broaden this out, though, because you know when you look at Dan Campbell coming in, it was like, okay, this is hilarious, but this is really a meathead, and Detroit's trying something different. And it's weird because I feel like there's a large segment of the football community that just writes this guy off immediately. Um, and yet Dan it's Campbell, you're talking about, yeah, Dan Campbell, right. Yeah. But it's, but it's working. And then, you know, I remember going way back to when Dion was still on like CBS, mm. like he was going, I want the Atlanta Falcons head coaching gig. And, and me is, I think I just was starting in media and I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, cause my thing was always, if you want to coach, then you should be a coach first somewhere else. And sure. to Dion's credit, this thing that he always wanted, he worked it into a power five job. And I, I wonder how like a locker room reacts to, first of all, the buy-in as a former player is real. Like I've, I've talked to enough of you guys that when you know that guy actually laced them up in that whole deal, like that's a great starting point because when things go south, the guy who you think is a nerd has never played, then you're all going to turn on him because you guys are all kind of meatheads too. But it's, it's a real thing. Right. But the non-corporate, right, guy, the, the non-CEO, the, the guy that wishes he could go out there and tackle guys with you, whether that's a Campbell, whether that's a, could you see a shift, a pivot from ownership going like, hey, and granted, it's only two games with Pierce against not exactly great opponents here, but would a locker room buy into that more so than what is normally like the more traditional buttoned up guy that has that gig? Yeah, and listen, it's funny you said that because I played with two offensive line coaches who never who never suited up. And I can remember saying to myself, how are you going to tell me about a three-point stance if you ain't never been one, right? How, how are you going to tell me about picking up a, a you know, an inside linebacker when you've never even stared down a barrel of one, right? And so there is a lot of validity that, to that because my first offensive line coach when I got to the league was Russ Grimm, uh, one of the original Hawks. And I can remember one of the things I loved about Rex was his ability just to get it without saying it, right? And I mean, 
whether the offensive line was just worn out from a hard practice or it was things that were going on film that you couldn't explain, but he just understood. So he had a solution to it, whether it was for a person or a particular play, or it, it, he just understood things. He understood the nonverbals. And he also knew how to talk offensive line language. So you really were on the same accord with him. A lot of times when you have a guy who, to your point, never suited up, he's only going by what the book says, right? Like you can't, you can't talk about boxing if you've never been in a fight. I don't care how much you love the sport and how much you admire whoever, but if you've never been in a ring and knew what it took to even get in the mindset to put yourself in that position, you, you'll never get it. So what I think what Antonio Pierce has done a great job of, just being relatable and being honest. Because he didn't have to talk to this team about getting better and, and wanting to win. When you see Devontae Adams, you know, smiling more. Seems like he, like, you know, Sunday against the Jets, man, he he looked awesome. You know, and he didn't get nearly enough, enough targets as he should have should have had in that game. But overall, he's smiling. They have, they have an identity in the run game. They've done a lot of things uh, defensively, especially led by Max Crosby, where you say, okay, well, this, this, can, this, can, do, this can be some, some things. So I, I think right now, man, it's Antonio Pierce. I just like the way he looks on the sideline. I like how he fits this team. You tell they respect him and love him. Uh, what happens from here on, I don't know. Uh, but there's, 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 they're in, a, they're in a good spot right now. But they beat two bad teams, right? Like the Giants aren't good. The Jets obviously aren't good. They should be good, but they aren't good. Um, and he's found the way to win. Yeah, this isn't going to be about whether or not they beat the Dolphins. It'll just be about, you know, is this somebody who can have this job and is the mold breaking a little bit? And right. for a guy like Antonio, I'd love to see that happen. And I'd like to see more guys get that opportunity because you know what? The cookie cutter guys fail too. 100%. You know? So if Campbell had failed in Detroit, it's like, oh, you know, you brought in this rock eater. What's wrong with you? And it's like, okay, well, I mean, how do the Chargers feel about Brandon Staley right now? So it's, it's all, all of these guys fail, but when it becomes a different approach, it's a much bigger failure despite having yeah. the same, the same feel. And to I'm with you because I think a lot of people looked at the whole Jeff Saturday situation like, oh, this is why you never turn it over to a player. Like Jeff Saturday was put in a doghole. Like he didn't really have a shot from the door. Not that Antonio Pierce doesn't, but there's, there's a sense of morale and understanding you, you feel like the Raiders have and that locker room has with him that you can kind of cheer for. Let's talk C.J. Stroud. He is one of the biggest headlines of the entire season. Rookie quarterbacks aren't supposed to look this good. Another game-winning drive for the field goal against Cincinnati. You know, a team we thought had figured some things out. Anything specific jump out to you from him that that is just different from other rookie quarterbacks? You know, I had Geno Smith. Uh, Smith when he was with the with the Jets, uh, his rookie year, and I can remember vividly one of the goals, if you will, as an offensive lineman when you're dealing with a young quarterback. Is to make sure he get him comfortable fast, right? Make sure that when he's back there, he's not seeing ghosts, that he's getting the ball out of his hands, and that he's doing what he's being told to do. Watching C.J. Stroud, man, he's light years of really – he's light years of what do you expect a quarterback to look like. I mean, his poise um, – I mean, go back to this Sunday's game. I mean, he 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 turned the ball over 100%. But it's the fact they, that, like, they trust him – they trusted him again to get back in the pocket deliver the ball 20 yards down the field, a strike after strike after strike, and there wasn't any like, all right, you've done too much or we may, we may have let you go on too far. Let's bring you back. He, it's not that at all. Like The kid's a ball player, and the fact that he's made this game look simplistic in his first year, 
Um, that's what jumps off the, the tape for me. Like the kid is, he's good. He's poised. He's confident. His mechanics are right on par and they're balling. Like I, for, for Christ's sakes, I forgot Robert Woods was on the Texans yesterday. I was like, Oh, I forgot that he was even on the, on the squad. Uh, but with, with the run game and Singletary, you talk about Noah, you know, Noah Brown, um, there's, 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 there's a swagger to this outfit that I think I, I haven't ever seen. Like I, in Valet, they did have Deshaun Watson at one point. They looked pretty damn good. Uh, but to look this good for as bad as they looked last year with a new head coach, I mean, it's, and he's saying all the right things too. When you hear him in a presser, like he's, he says all the right things. He's passionate. Um, and he just looks cool throwing the football. He does. He looks great. And so I, I think for me, what stands out the most is his poise. He doesn't seem panicked or worried. He's just getting the job done. He's doing it well. Richard Sherman, uh, who's part of the Amazon show, you know, talked about Trevor Lawrence in the past. And I, I think what he's saying here is fair because, you know, Jacksonville got smoked by San Francisco. I mentioned the Open. The Niners were healthy off the bye, had lost three in a row. Like they were as up for that one as probably any game this season, sure. uh, maybe other than Dallas. And then Jacksonville, who has this good record. But you look at some of the stats, you're like, wait, how good are they really? And offensively, there's some numbers in there. You're like, wait, that's way worse. But I still look at Trevor Lawrence as like somebody who gives you a chance. And essentially his tweet was this, was when I make an assessment that Lawrence hasn't been the generational talent, he was billed to be coming out of Clemson. Jags fans are up in arms. The tape doesn't lie. The team has won because the defense has gotten turnovers. Uh, at this point, Lawrence has more turnovers and touchdowns on and on. So basically, it wasn't like he was like, hey, this guy sucks. He's going to suck forever. It's just he's not been as good as I think. What do you think of Lawrence? I think he's spot on. But you also got to understand, Trevor Lawrence kind of made this bet. Remember in the, in the preseason, like, you know, I plan to throw 5,000 yards, right? Like, I, I was gonna, I'm going to be, I'm going to be amazing this year. And he has been average. You talk about having only, you know, he has 10 takeaway, he has 10 turnovers, but nine passing touchdowns. And the bottom line, they can't protect him. Like, they, the offensive line isn't very good. But the Jags on defense, they walked into that game with 18 takeaways. So it's it's weird because they do have the Calvary release. You talk about the Christian Kirk. You talk about Evan Ingram. They have Etienne. They can run the ball for the most part. But when you're a starting quarterback in this league, especially when you're him, you're supposed to mask the deficiencies on offense. He has yet to do that. And so when you talk about who's the best quarterback in that division, to me it's C.J. Stroud, and he's the rookie. And so it, it's not even close. And I think I think Sherm is spot on because you can say what you want about this offense, but being six five and and, and being have the mobility uh, like he does, he has to be money, and he's not money. You know, you go back to that the Steeler game. You know, he wasn't great in that game either. You know, the Steelers were just really bad. I mean, the Steelers. Are, I mean, they're you know they're scrappy group and they win ugly and they play big time defense. But the, you thought there was a lot of expectation for the Jags to come in that building and, and flat out blow them out like the Niners did week one against the Steelers. That didn't happen at all. So, uh, yeah, Trevor, Trevor, there's a lot on his shoulders that he's just not producing at a high level, or at least the standard that we expect him to play at. He's definitely not that guy. He's not him. He doesn't get a Hemi Award, if you will. <laughs> Who would you rather have, Dobbs or Lawrence? Right now? I, I, I'm going to be honest. I love Dobbs, man. I, I love you talking about the last two games with the Vikings, throwing for 400 yards, rushing for 100 yards in both games. He's running it. He's throwing it. And I like the fact that he kind of has this, you know, his air about him where he like he like he won a like he won a sweepstakes. Like, like he won a prize to be the quarterback on, on a pro team. Like because when you don't know people's names, um, you're just flat out balling and you just have this, you know, this moxie about it. like, hey, man, I just I'm going to do the job and whatever happens, happens. I, I support the kid, man. And, you know. 
you know, he was on five teams in 12 months. I felt bad when he got released from, uh, you know, from the Browns because I didn't think DTR, like, outplayed him. I didn't think it was just like a glaring, I didn't, you know what I mean? I, I didn't just see, like, you know, why he wasn't warranted being the number two behind Watson. So it's interesting. I thought he balled hard enough to to remain the guy at, at with the Arizona. Ballot, they were one and seven. They weren't very good, but he kept them in a lot of games with just for pure talent and will. Uh, so um, I just feel bad because I don't know what he needs to do to find a home. Like, like what's like what's going to be a home for Josh Dobbs? I don't know because I right now every time you put on a tape, you're like, okay, the kid got some. We we like what we see, but then you look up and he's on another team. So it's like, and go back to the Tennessee game. Like he was, he was on the Titans in a playoff game. Had didn't know didn't know anything from anything, and pretty much tried his best. So the kid, the kid has marbles, man. And um, I just hope this, you know, this situation in Minnesota works out for him. The craziest part about it is that they're putting the game in his hands offensively. Like this isn't somebody getting a couple wins, and you're like, oh, they won seventeen thirteen, and we're going to pretend the quarterback was good for a week, which is one of my least favorite things about the way we talk about the NFL. Like, oh yeah, he went thirteen to twenty six, one eighty one, no turnovers. Defense was yeah. awesome. We're going to give this fucking guy credit. We're going to give we're going to give number thirteen credit. You know, right. <laughs> and, and you know, it's just it's extending the lie, right? Whenever, and I'm not even talking about one guy specifically. There are so many quarterbacks every year where everybody knows that he isn't the guy, but then we just extend the lie because of all these other circumstances. And maybe that's part of the Trevor Lawrence story uh, a bit this season, even though I'd still think like, okay, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I'm ready to write him off. But if you're telling me he's, he's average, that's not what you expected with Lawrence, which was back to the original point. But with Dobbs, you know, one of those things you always look for is how often is the team throwing on first down in those neutral situations, right? Sure. Not at the end of the game when it's a nightmare. It's just, okay, scores within this parameter. And, and they like, Washington probably does it more than anybody with Sam Howell, and they definitely did this past week, like throwing on first down and being enemies. Just like, look, we're going to try to do the Kansas City stuff that we did with with a different version at quarterback. But it's kind of the way to play the game now. Is is you can't just be giving up first down opportunities every single time. Adjust second and third to what happened on first. And yet with Dobbs and Minnesota's defense deserves some credit here for turning things around, but they're not screwing around with it, and that's. It's impressive they're winning. It's impressive he was on five teams since week 15 of last year, but they're letting him actually play the position, which in this circumstance normally would not, they would be hand-holding the whole time, and that's not what the Vikings are doing. Yeah, 100%. You know, considering that he's still learning his way around the building, right? Like, usually, and what's and you got to give Minnesota credit because when Kirk Cousins went down, they didn't just they didn't throw their hands up, right? They was just like, "Oh, it's done." They didn't do that. They actually said, "You know what? We're gonna make we're gonna throw one more stone at it and see if we can crack this thing." And they bring in Dobbs. And a lot of people, when they said, oh, "Okay, well, well, we'll see what happens," but to your point, the defense was just playing better. Like uh, Danell Hunt, Hunter, which is our leading, you know, leads the league in sacks, is balling. You talk about Kirk Cousins going down with Achilles. You bring in Josh Dobbs. He comes off the he comes off the plane and he's just running and gunning. And I think there's something to be said that for that. I think I think a lot of times, and I think I was the same way as a ball player. Like less thinking is more. Sometimes you just got like the athlete and the talent just come to the table and ball out for you instead of putting too much in his head. And I think you see it right now. But he's also a smart kid. He's like building rockets and shit. Like he's a, he's a smart kid. Dude loves rockets. Once you yeah. find that stuff out, you just know. All right, this guy can. <laughs> he can. He can understand cover too. He's got it. <laughs> Right. Deshaun Watson, a glimmer of hope. I need I needed to see that. I needed because I, I was right? I've been hard on Watson, man. Crazy. I've been hard on him because 
I don't want. I don't want to say. I feel like I'm about to say something's going to be really, really bad. So this is what I'm trying to say: for somebody who got the bag, right after everything he went in the, went through in the offseason, to land in Cleveland and valid when he got to he only played six games, wasn't great, but had a full offseason where they pretty much can customize the customize the offense for him. And then you know, beginning of the season, I thought he was spotty. He didn't look great to me. He didn't feel like I was watching the Deshaun Watson coming out of Houston. No, nowhere near close. And then he plays last week against the Cardinals. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, there you go. I see a little, little razzle-dazzle. There you go. And then on top of that, I was really frustrated with him tapping out of games, especially when the team was clearing him, right? The team was like, hey, he's clear to go. And he's like, nah, the arm's not feeling better. Why well, you got to understand, I play with Ben Roethlisberger, bro. You know what I mean? Like, I watched Ben get slammed. I seen, I seen Ben play through things that I know most men wouldn't play through in their careers. And then, so there's an expectation of being an AFC North quarterback because of the defenses that you play against within the division. It's a hard division to play in because of the physicality each team prides themselves on. So when I'm watching the show on Watson, man, I'm like, dude, you got to go because you do have a, you have a top-ranked defense. You have arguably one of the best defenses in the, in the, in the league right now. And one side of the ball needs help. And you can be the difference. And matter of fact, for a guy who just got to the city, this is how you win the city over. Win scrappy, show the, show everybody in the city you're tough, you're built for it, and just get the job done. And the first half against Baltimore, he wasn't great. But the second half, I felt like finally he gets it, right? Finally, he was like he willed himself to carry that team and make some plays down that stretch that really helped him out. Now, at the end of the day, does he still have to be better 100%? But the fact that, you know, I finally felt like I looked at the Deshaun. There was a second half of that Baltimore game with a Deshaun Watson that I fell in love with from Houston finally showed up. He was gritty, made plays with his feet. Obviously, the arm is still there. I just felt like I just needed to see more. He gave me more yesterday. So I was uh, – it, it was it was good to see, but at the end of the day, man, he just has to be consistent. Like, obviously, the Arizona game was a, a tune-up game to get ready for Baltimore. He still didn't look good in the first half. Second half, he came out. Obviously, he was a little gimpy with the leg. He had a little injury or whatever. But it was good to see him kind of just will himself to victory, will that team to victory and get it done. I love the relationship him and David Njoku had yesterday, uh, Sunday. That was awesome, too. Finally, he has, a, he has a security blanket. So that was good to see. Yeah, that's what I felt like in the beginning. Like, at least at least we saw something that resembled something. the guy that we, we saw in Houston. And every time I'm shocked at how bad he is and i share that there's this group of people that seem to think that this is who he's always been and i'm just like i watched enough of those houston games without much around him um it's it's two different it's been two different guys i don't care i, I, I don't want i'm with you and that's the thing he had less in houston it was a dog he gets to cleveland and you have Najoku, a good office line you know cooper's all right or kareem hunt a lot amari cooper like you you have guys like now we expect you to be that guy and you're talking about your shoulder hurts. Nobody got time for that shit. You gotta go, you gotta go win some football games. You're like, once it's apple picking time, it's time to go run the ball and win some football games. I like that. Apple picking time. What is I don't know if the Niners are the answer, because I think the weird thing with the Niners is that you looked at the talent uh at the beginning of the year. That's certainly what I did. And you go, look at all of these options. They bring in Hargrave from Philly. I like that they're adding a strength to the strength. The Bosa stuff wasn't really right. clicking. They get five sacks against Jacksonville. Yesterday, Chase Young is on the team. I don't know. It might be two questions here. 
give me give me the front that you'd be most afraid of having a game plan for. And then obviously where do the Niners fit in amongst that? Oh wow. Uh, for me, it'll probably be the, and I I don't want to be too on brand or cliche, it'll probably be the Niners front, right? Uh, That's kind of what I was wondering. Now, you know, Chase Young, whatever you think of him, he was really good this year with Washington, despite a kind of, hey, is this guy, he's supposed to be one of these guys, but he's not really showing it. And I think this was probably the best stretch he'd had football-wise of his career with Washington before the trade. Well, I think he won. He wants to get paid. Um, (laughs) Two, I also think it's, it's, it's a situation where he's finally, you know, being with the Niners where there's and not that there was so much pressure in Washington because he played along a couple other first rounders. But I mean, between Bosa, Hargraves, Armstead, him, I mean, like now he's a part of kind of this mon squad where like like it's hard how you game plan. Like a lot of guys double Bosa, but now you got Chase one on one that time. And sometimes even when they go max rotation, you got Hargraves getting off, too. So. I think the fact that it's not about him, it's just about him just being the best he can on each down and just beating the guy in front of him plays plays into his strength. I mean, he's he's an ox, man. He's a big he's a big dude. So at the end of the day, for him to play the way he played against Jacksonville, I'm not I'm not surprised because on top of that, Jacksonville can't protect anybody. So it's pretty much him beating up on a bunch of JV guys. But he showed up and he needed to have that game and they didn't they did, they needed to look dominant because you know San Francisco they're not a heavy blitz team, right? Like they. They try to get home with, with what they have, what they're for. Sometimes they drop eight and they let the boys get home. And so at times it's it's weird because I thought the last three games where they needed to make a change was become more blitz happy, take more chances, and they kind of didn't. And you show them get exposed. When you go, you play against Minnesota and you don't get a sack and, you, and Bose is, uh, is healthy, it's like, well, damn, like what the hell is going on? Where, where, where are these guys who are known to be world beaters and so the fact that they got Chase Young and they looked as good as they did, um, they gave Trevor Lawrence a, a shitload of fits. It was, it was, they're, in a, they're moving in the right direction. And Brock Purdy was money. Everybody was money. Everything was as advertised. Um, so it, it was good. But I think one thing about this Niner defense, man, if they continue to stay healthy and play together, they're going to be dangerous come playoffs time. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think right firmly back into the conversation after a really disappointing stretch of three games. Willie Colon, SNY, Jets pre post and fox sports as well uh we'll catch up again soon thanks thanks brother i appreciate you they say money can't buy happiness look at the fucking smile on my face ear to ear baby you want details fine i drive a ferrari 355 cabriolet what's up i have a ridiculous house on the south fork i have every toy you can possibly imagine and best of all kids I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. What's up, Kyle? What is up, Steve? It is Life Advice. The email address, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. And if you want to do any kind of mailbag type question or whatever, because we have another one coming out probably around Thanksgiving, fridayfeedbackrr at gmail.com. You can ask us questions literally about anything. Uh, We called it Friday Feedback because it was going to be on Fridays, but we're just pivoting. We're branding it to just mailbag. And maybe I'll just make the email that. No, anyway, it's going to be Friday uh, at next some point. Not, so next Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving, we'll have a, a Friday feedback for you. We're still so at we're both Fridays. We're about once a month. Happy yeah. accidents that they're on Fridays. That's, that's cool. Uh, we have a lot of feedback from the vending machine thing. I need to post that picture. I'll post it on Twitter at Ryan A. Rusillo on X. Um, and I'll post nice. that so you guys can see it because people were very interested in it. We've had a lot of. Um, you know, I got to give you, uh, 
guys and girls credit here because every now and then like there's certain topics where everybody's a hero in their own story and you know what um i need to i need to respect the audience more on this one because well there's just been other topics where you know everyone will chime in certainly when the parent stuff at any time that comes up we've got authors and everyone jumping down our throats but anything we say so this was really cool because there was a lot of positive stuff. There was very little, oh, I could definitely do that or whatever. Um, because when you see the picture, it's it's clearly very daunting or people trying to rig the system. So a competitive eater chimed in, loved the show, 27, 6'2", 215, bench 305, squat 335, deadlift 425. Uh, former college football player, b-ball comp is late career Spurs Rudy Gay. Oh, he's a former college football player. All right. That makes way more sense. I was like, what? He's throwing some hybrid at us. Uh, I have always been a massive all caps eater and have been fighting that in my mid to late 20s with a heavy dose of basketball. I have four competition eating titles in my life all before I was 22. Nothing like the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, but a couple legitimate competitors. Uh, One such as two pizza eating contests, 43 slices and four cinnamon rolls personal record i'm always surprised those guys aren't like fucking slobs they actually always look pretty like together i'm I'm like i'm i'm shocked that like you don't see like you know the uh what was that like the lard ass uh in uh stand by me like they never look like those guys they just they always they look pretty put together i think there's some ab stuff they do i think they do some like hardcore core things that strengthen everything um i'm not super interested so we don't need to follow up ton as you know i have one i don't have a title but i do i did compete in the nathan's hot dog at suffolk downs for the eddie Andelman hot dog safari early 2000s um and i don't even like hot dogs all that much wow i didn't know that about you you were like as you know i was like that's (laughs) yeah i didn't know that either i think i got credit for seven i think it was really six Mm. um i asked did you dip did you do the dip thing in no. the in the water, that's no. Yeah, that's why you only got seven, dude. <laughs> like you got a. That's terrible. <laughs> now the radio station basically was like, "You have to do this." And I was like, "I really don't want to do this." And they're like, "You have." I was to say do it's pretty it. off brand, but yeah. You know. <laughs> and uh, you know, when I said I didn't really even like hot dogs, they were like, "What are you?" That's perfect. Fucking Russian, <laughs> you know, are you communist. Although I imagine Russians probably do like hot dogs. So I just was like, I don't really eat them. You know, not that. I don't have any meals that aren't unhealthy. Like I'll, I'll eat stuff that, you know, I'm not, I'm not over here with a scale counting the macros or whatever. I remember when a guy at the gym was like, Hey, are you big like you count your macros? Like what are your, I was like, not really, dude, not really. I'll smash a pizza by myself once a week. So I don't know what to say. Anyway, uh, I was sick for like two or three days afterwards though, but just absolutely sick. Yeah. And then I had to give Ed cookie Jarvis a ride to the airport who was a competitive eater and was, uh, was a big guy. Well, what would your food of choice be if it's not hot dogs then? Like, what would you want to competitively eat if you had to do it again? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know that there's Chicken any wings. No, yeah. No. Not now. No way. When I was younger, I used we- to love them. But I mean, a long time ago. But like me ordering two dozen and getting delivered to my house, that that hasn't happened in I don't know how long. But. So Good we you. had this debate with like my friends and some of their wives and girlfriends about like whether or not the average person could just eat 50 chicken nuggets in one sitting. 
And I'm like, I think you guys are underestimating how hard that would be. And they're like, nah, 50 is nothing. I'm like, ah, that's a lot. That's in a lot one sitting or what'd you say, one, one hour? One sitting. Like, yeah, like you just, you know, just eat until you can't eat anymore. But, you, you know, you can't, you can't so be like, like, can't, like, like we, if we start with the Germany game and end with that terrible Jets game, you don't think you could put down 50? No, no, uh, no, 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 not, no. It has to be like. Dude, that's 12 hours. Of course you do 50 nuggets. Yeah, it has well, to be one like sitting, one sitting. You know? Yeah. Yeah, if you're not moving. You're like, how long are we talking here? Right. All right, let me get back to the email because I've derailed it. He did a pie eating competition. Uh, first to finish, it wasn't close. Smashed everybody. My crowning jewel, a wing eating competition in which I ate 38 wings in seven and a half minutes. $3 wings, not the little ones. I realized I wasn't the next Joey Chestnut because I watched Joey Chestnut. So I hung up the bib and I still have great advice for eating as much food as the vending machine challenge calls for. P.S. Completely agree. Some people are driving around thinking that's easy, but that's a ridiculous amount of junk food to eat in a day. I'm telling you, that's why I need to tweet out the picture. But I'm giving the audience a ton of credit, like incredibly impressed that there was very little no problem, dude. Because then you have to think of the person that listens to it and goes, let me just email to these guys real quick that don't know me that I would have no problem doing this. So it just <laughs> lives there. <laughs> right? The humility is just impressive. Right. There's, there's always part of like understanding any feedback to like, okay, but you were driving around and thought, hold up, Billy, can you pick up the kids? No, I've got to email these people that don't know me and will never meet me that I could do the thing that I actually just heard them talking about and didn't see the picture of. All right, uh, I digress. So one, drink a minimum of an entire gallon of water the day before. I would do two. You're going to want to be full for most of the day before. Hey, back to you guys talking about being, the, being full. I like it. Uh, two, considering the timing of when you need to eat, you should have an enormous lunch the day before with lots of starches. Three, late night before, eat as much salad as you possibly can avoid. Uh, it's, wait, we need a little comma there. Eat as much salad as you possibly can. Avoid dairy if possible, but I always needed some ranch to help get that much lettuce down. So maybe if you can handle a vinaigrette, you go that way. In case I didn't make this clear, the salad you eat the night before is the most important part of keeping your stomach stretched out. The leafy greens help you clear out in the morning. I'm talking two large entree salads from a restaurant. Five, the next day, drink minimum water and obviously avoid eating until you reach work to do the challenge. Order of operations here. Got to get a mixture of all of it. Don't try to muscle down one section at a time. I would take the first eating session seriously to try to get down over a third of the stuff immediately. Take breaks, eat in sections of the day, have goals set for times of the day. You can do this and go get that money. Again, 1700 bucks on the line. Sorry for the long email and shitty punctuation. Uh, it was great, except for the one comma on the dairy part that you know I'd read through before so i like i actually feel better just reading that i'm motivated i'm inspired i hope that guy's a coach nothing to kind add of what i okay. thought <laughs> no kind of what i thought i mean definitely kind of what i said so uh it's good to hear thanks guy all right moving on mixing a get... salad was the advice nice yeah the the night before uh we also had this i guess a couple weeks ago i well i know i did because i tweeted it out I basically was like, how can you just still be a James Harden fan? Like, I get if you were into the Rockets as an eight, nine-year-old and into your teens. And and by the way, I can even understand liking him past that age because he was your guy. And he was awesome. And, you know, I always give the Rockets a lot of credit for this, that in an NBA landscape where it seemed just stupid to even challenge the Warriors, they were the one team uh, that was really trying to give it a shot. And granted, you know, there was a different phase there with the Clippers earlier on and the Spurs and the Zaza injury and all that stuff. But you get my point here. 
Um, but then as you got older, I would think like, hey, I don't really want to back this guy anymore. Uh, the early returns on the Clipper stuff, like I'm not even doing that much content on it other than the one time I did it because I'm just, I can't imagine it'll be this bad. But um, writing in, because in addition to the normal hardened bashing Ryan does, it feels like there's a, been a frequent question of how can anyone stand this guy? Uh, I've come to you as a 24-year-old Seattle native who became a full-fledged hardened guy during his first year in Houston and then fervently stuck by him at every stop since. I've spent almost half my life watching, enjoying, and defending James Harden. So how can I still defend him? I can't. The guy has broken me. At this point, I'm honestly hoping he just retires so he can speed up the process of him becoming underrated if that ever happens. Um, anyway, and by the way, the guy's back to being a Rockets fan. He wanted to let us update that. How about the Rockets, man? Fun team. Fun team right now. Six straight. I don't think there's a ton of advice there. I, I don't really want to spend a lot of we can't have hard and infiltrate life advice as well. So I think you just changed the subject, right? Cause you probably spent so much time when it was, when they were scoring points and winning and stuff like that. And so you can't really just be like, yeah, you're right. He He's bad. You don't want to lose that. So I think you just train, change the subject or, or, you know, steer it away before it can even get there. If you, if your spidey senses start tingling and just like, Hey, it's going to rain on Wednesday. I don't know. Like, uh, just, <laughs> just go just, weather. Like you're not going to, you're not going to win, right? You're not going to win the argument. So if you can just kind of, you know, swerve around it at any at any point and then and then he'll be retired one day and you could finally rest. Yeah, but this is where I think we need to encourage more people to open up about themselves being wrong. It's OK. Like, I'm not going to judge you. You got you got wrapped up in the hardened excitement. I understand it. And now you're having regrets. That's totally normal and totally fine. We should celebrate and encourage more people to do that. Because the other thing you could just do is be like a loser on Twitter and just kind of like continue to defend him to this day, which I have no idea why those people would exist. So I, I applaud this guy. I'm, I'm proud of him. I have no issue. Like, think how impressionable we all are in, in so many different, you know, categories uh, when you're younger. But, you know, if that was your dude when you were a kid, and then you became an adult and there's still this romantic thing about him. I'm not, I'm not going to tell anybody they're wrong. No, I understand. I understand all of that. Okay. I have, I have my guys from back in the day as a little kid. I mean, none of them requested this many trades in this short of a time, but it's just, there's nothing wrong with anybody going, Hey, that was my dude. And I defended him and all that kind of stuff. I think it's just now the, Hey, I'm, I'm never going to pivot off of this. Uh, you could, you can still have loved him in the past. I think it's just when you tell everybody else that doesn't like him, that they're wrong in 2023, you're just like, Hey, look, and you know what? I think that's it. That's, I don't think we need to add it. No, I'll just say really quickly, like, <laughs> thank God. No, this is, I, I love this. Cause again, I, I'll just share, thank God Twitter didn't exist. Like during the, you know, the magic, what was it? The, the 09 finals year, what did exist, but it was like in its early onset stages. Cause I probably said a lot of reckless shit about Dwight Howard being better than LeBron James. And I was incredibly wrong, but you know what? You get wrapped up in the fandom of it. Right. And you know, I, I'm, I'm no longer, I've seen the light. I'm no longer a Dwight guy. Um, so it is what it is. I'm just, I'm happy that people are able to change their minds and, and, and be accepted that they were wrong. Whenever I have a position, like I could have gone a lot deeper on some of the college football stuff that I saw from this past weekend. But that is almost entire, like, when, when any, everybody, like, will say, like, oh, you know, nobody, like, straw man or whatever. Because you know, I think some people, like, learned the term straw man a few years ago, and they were like, oh, cool, I'm just going to say straw man all the time. I am promising you that I will have seen it either from people I used to work with, work with now, you know, uh, 
just it's there's some stuff about college football coverage where if it's like the home base college football coverage and you know it's it's different now it's not traditional like it used to be it's not everybody's from the local paper it's not that everybody's from the national outlet or all that stuff there's so many localized versions of of coverage specific to college football that at times I'll be like well this is a media member that thinks this like this is somebody who actually thinks this about the team and then you realize like okay this person's so into that one thing that they don't have like a a greater landscape to kind of like compare to like think of the rest of the world because they're only thinking about their lane we got to get to dudes dating here all right here we yeah, go sorry. match with a girl on bumble that i hooked up with last year but she doesn't recognize me Okay. For better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, I'm the former number one overall pick in my hometown 2007 rec league basketball draft and went on to score nice. a menacing two points per game and everyone else drafted after me basically rec league gods. So player comp would be Darko Milicic. Um, I think something jumps out here. So does that mean he was in high school and now he's on Bumble now in his 30s? Which I am not judging. I just, is Bumble on the younger side of things or is that he thought it was i thought it was like just i was I, it's all a step above tinder right i thought that's what yeah like you know for maturity wise or whatever so that's that's what i thought so i think as long as you're above you know that one you're, you're it's like it's considered better okay all right this guy's like cool you Not guys like e-harmony or anything yeah but yeah <laughs> you guys are shitting on me we haven't even get to the subject um no i just i actually am a proponent of this good for you man uh, as the title says i recently matched with a female on a dating app the caveat is i hooked up with this woman about a year and a half ago after a chance encounter at a rockies game go denver i texted her a few days later and reminded her i kicked her ass in that bar game where you swing a ring on a string. Oh, I love that game. Fuck yeah, dude. Nice. I and try to land in that the game. ring string game. Cool. That's a yeah. hard game, dude. It's and a hard game. That was a bar right there when you swing a ring on a string <laughs> and asked her for a date, uh, whether it be her inability to handle defeat or my lackluster skills in the bedroom. She ghosted me. I know where this guy was. Fast forward to today. I've been chatting with her on said dating app and she clearly has not realized I'm the guy from that sweet, sweet summer night. It should be pointed out we were both pretty inebriated, so I don't fault her for not recognizing me. She's not ugly, and I felt our personalities clicked pretty well in person, so I'd like to pursue things again. I haven't brought up that we've actually met before. I'm not sure how to tackle this situation. Should I just meet it head on and tell her before things go further on the app? Should I try to set up a date and mention in person, or should I go the route of 50 first dates and pretend like it never happened? P.S. It's definitely Kyle breathing on the podcast. All right. Um, it is me, so shout out to the producers. <laughs> Thanks for not taking that stuff out. Um, for the story alone, I love him not saying anything. That's just kind of what I know he probably should. But I like the idea of meeting up and seeing because this story will be hilarious. And who knows? It could be your origin story. Imagine wedding toasts with this one. Um. Now, maybe there's a downside. She's like, I hooked up so much that year that I just couldn't keep track, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe we'll leave out of the wedding toast part. But I don't think you bring it up. I think for your own entertainment and the entertainment of your core group of friends, like you're a legend for this. You're a legend if you go out on a date and then everyone's going to be like, what happened? Did she know? And 
you know, if it goes south, you can be like the funniest thing is that we already hooked up a year and a half ago. Or if it goes great, the problem is she may be like, you're a weirdo, but then isn't she just as weird for not remembering? Like, what's worse, you remembering and not telling her or her never remembering? So dumb shit happens, but I'm kind of rooting for the entertainment angle of this option. So I say do it and don't say anything until either it goes south or it goes north, which you don't hear very often. <laughs> and you, it, it becomes then, like a really funny story because maybe at that point she likes the new you and she's changed or it's just a completely different experience for her than five times in. I mean, she may not like it at all, but she may love it. Who knows? We're all different. I feel like you run the risk though of like if it goes well, I, I think the, I think it, the answer is don't say anything if you want to have like a second chance here, which you clearly seem like you do. But if things are going well, I don't think you have I don't think you tell her either until like maybe you're like engaged because th maybe there was something that like really was a red flag with her. And then like if you have a couple good dates and then you flip in, hey, like remember back in so and so that we did this and we hooked up or whatever. And she's like, oh, yeah, you're that guy. And then she breaks it off again. So I would kind of keep it to yourself until you know that you're in a real safe place. Um, so it's, this is uh, not quantifiable, but like to what Ryan said is like, you know, is it weirder to be the guy that remembers or like, is it, is it weirder to be the person that doesn't remember? Uh, I think you, you could be made to feel weirder to be the guy that remembers. Like, I think Chris Rock has a good joke. He's like, dudes just love to not know. Like, I remember in high school, it used to be like, like almost like, especially in history class. Cause that was one of the things that I actually could like retain and did well on and stuff like that. And like, I would just somehow would just come up with my friends and I talk about something in class and they'd be like, I don't know that shit. Like, like they're almost like proud. So I know it's like a little different, but it's just, it's kind of unquantifiable, but it's something you just kind of know that like the people who, who forgot and like, Oh, you remember that shit. It's like, sometimes they're just like, Oh, well, I'm cooler than you. I got so much going on. I don't even have room for that in my brain. But what I would say for this specifically, I wouldn't overthink it, but maybe you haven't met up in person yet. Right. He's remembering when he's saying like we clicked in person, he's remembering that shit from a while ago like a nerd because yep. she totally doesn't remember. But um, I think um, I think what you could do is when you finally set up the thing, you look at her eyes and if she like does it like a little like, you know, pictures could be just way different. Like, you know, we've all been there where we saw a picture and saw a person. We're like, wow, I can't believe that's the same, um, you know, subject here. But I think that like if you look at her and she does like a little like, you know, head cock or like is like, is this, you know, then you can then you can act like it's happening to you for the first time too, and be like, oh, my God, ring game girl. But if not, then maybe you can just bail on that. Like if you just you get the actual once she lays eyes on you, if if she if there's any sort of change in her face, you see the gears turning at all, then maybe you can be like, then you can act like, oh, my God, are you actually the same person? But if but if, you know, read that and if you and if you, you know, Wait. You read it then make the handoff. But if not, you know, just act like it never happened. Yeah, that's a little devious, though, because then you could be setting yourself up from like you hook up so much that you don't quite remember everything. Um, I like and you're the cool guy. As an aside, yeah. I love that Kyle was the history guy in his crew in high school. So this is right. This is completely dependent upon her. Because now as we played this out and talked about it, like I've also thought, what if this happened to me? And what if I didn't remember the girl? And then we met up again for a date. And then we hung out a few times. And then she tells me like after the third time, we already hooked up a year and a half ago, by the way. Then I'd be like, what a lunatic. So, um, it really depends on her personality, but I think there's a, just a great chance for an all time story here. And I would protect that protect stories. 
protect stuff that you'll remember 10 years later with your buddies so you can go, I can't believe you did that. And the fact that you might be 30 doing this is even more, I know, to some immature, unimpressive. I think it's hilarious. So that's my vote. What what if you did this? What if you did the like you try to maybe take her to the same spot and play the ring game again and see if anything kind of (laughs) clicks? Is is there maybe a way to do that? Here's the other thing that I was just thinking about, which could be really depressing. What if you guys go out, you hook up and then she goes to you again? Are you going to be ready for that? Like kind of, you know, pretty, pretty bummer of an ego situation there. Well, I would say three months post post ghosting. Just say, hey, uh, just a heads up. I'm the guy from a year and a half ago. <laughs> and then just leave it at that. Okay, let's do... Uh, what's up? <laughs> yeah, what's up now? Let's do a neighbor deal here. Uh, do I owe my dick of a neighbor money? Hey, guys, no stats, but I listen to a ton of... Uh, Huberman and Atia have big plans for one day. Anything to anybody there? Too, dude. I, got, I, too, have big plans. Okay. No. Um... I need a ruling. Do I owe my neighbor money? Backstory, my neighbor, let's call him Dick, is a total dick. There is not enough time to go into all the details, but examples of his dickish behavior include yelling at neighbors, leaving his yard uh, as a disaster, his dogs barking in the middle of the night, starting projects like building a stone walkway and never finishing, leaving dirt and rocks where they lie. He called the cops on my 40th at 945. We were just about to shut it down before 10 out of respect to the neighborhood. He took a few of our old fence panels from our fence installer and simply propped them up in his backyard for privacy. But the worst thing this piece of shit has done is move his gutter spout to come out the corner of his yard toward my house at the time we were placing our window wells and the additional water coming off his roof poured into the basement before i get a picture of his gutter he had removed it uh the confrontation was not pretty and he played the victim pretending as though i was a bully and why he didn't feel comfortable in our neighborhood all right so this guy just checks every suck box yeah fast forward a couple weeks ago we're getting a new roof installed this guy's doing a lot of home improvement uh and had a tree Oh, wait, after a tree had fallen through our house during a storm. All right, so that wasn't just a, hey, let's upgrade the shingles here. Um, That sucks. It was a frightening ordeal for the family, to say the least, and we've been displaced for months as a result. One day, I got a text from a neighbor with a screenshot of a Facebook post from Dick asking if anybody else in the neighborhood recently had flat tires. Apparently, he had four caused from roofing nails. He then proceeded to ask two of our neighbors if they thought he should call the roofing company to demand new tires from them. Why does he need, like, Get it. It was support. Yeah. <laughs> like state of the neighborhood. Like, hey, everyone, just what do you what do you guys think? Although people in neighborhoods, when I used to live in that condo association in West Hartford, like there was a couple of neighbors, but you know there's like this whole Facebook thing, community about like different stuff that goes on. I was like, boy, like if there's one certainty in life, it's that I'm not signing up for that. Um apparently, so he goes around uh By the way, the tires have been successfully patched, mind you, which matters for the next part. After that post, a friendly neighbor came to me with the story of his son and my son, both eight years old, running around the neighborhood with roofing nails in hand. He asked them what they were doing, and they said playing, and he told them to go put the nails in the trash can and then went about his day. It came out in questioning that my son had been playing in Dick's driveway that day and perhaps may have set the nails up behind his car tires as a prank. They did indeed do this. Um, they said this to the aforementioned father as well. So my question is easy. Do I owe Dick the 90 bucks he complained about to the neighbor for the patch tires, knowing his end goal is to try to get brand new tires from a roofing company? Or do I chalk this up to his own bad karma coming back to him? Generally, I live my life with morals and try to do what is right whenever I can. But the thought of handing $90 over to Dick is really killing me. What's the ruling from the guys? 
Uh, right. What What do you got, Kyle? Deny, right? Because he's saying, did I get this? Can I catch this ending that he said, like, his kid and, like, his kid's friend was the culprit? Yes. I mean, you think you're getting, he's going to start, this is like a calling the cops a nine-year-old's guy. Like, I think it's, you wouldn't be shocked. You wouldn't be shocked. And then he's got that in your file whenever he's, like, thinking about doing the next thing. They'd be like, and, and the kids set up tires or, you know, set up uh, nails behind my tires. Yeah, clearly the kids did this, uh, it sounds like. So I don't think that's the hang-up. I think the hang-up is that he knows that he's, his kids did this, but this guy's resume sucks. And, he's not reasonable, so he's going right. to treat you t- badly now that if he knows this information. So fucking lock this shit down like Fort Knox, dude. Do not let this get out, because even if, like, he's not going to see it as, like, oh, you did the right thing and came to me. No. He's going to be like, not only do you suck, your kids suck. You're, you know, you're raising a bunch of, you know, four new tires. And, no, he's, he's going to anything that up, happens, right? Anything that goes yeah. on, his transmission is going to be loose. He's going to need a full wheel alignment. He is going to use this as an invite. So normally I would agree with the emailer, like do the right thing, go to him say, I think my kids may have been responsible, but this guy flooded your basement. Didn't care. Stole stuff from the fence installer to then do his own makeshift thing. Like this guy is so excited about the prospect of being a massive headache for you for your admission of this. And again, like I said, nine out of ten, 99 out of 100 times, you do the right thing and you go to them, but nope, I'm on your side. I'm on your side on this one because you'd just be inviting a whole new tier of problems that would be beyond what you're actually responsible for. Yeah, somebody who actually does have a shitty neighbor, I think I've told some stories on the pod before. I love, How's that going? I love your shitty neighbor yeah. stories. I love them. Um, honestly, I haven't really... He's right over here. He hasn't really talked to me, and we haven't talked in a while, so it's been pretty quiet on that front. But, you know, I, I want to have a good relationship with my neighbor. If, if I and Because here's the thing. like, There's been different grievances that have come up that have mostly been him overreacting. But yeah, like I'll admit, some of them have been our fault. And I'd be much more likely to own up to them and try to, you know, help fix the situation if he wasn't such a dick all the time. If you saw, so, thought something good would come out of it. Right? Yeah. So, so like, I mean, you know, I, I, you, you're worried about the karma situation. I don't, everything that you've said, like, I don't, have, I don't think you have to worry. I don't believe in karma, but I don't think you have to worry about karma here, man. Like you're good. Like it's a kid. He screwed up. This, the fact that this guy, if, if this guy's tires popped and he didn't really know why you saw it, the fact that he was going around with your neighbors trying to like incriminate you and trying to get something out of the company, like that just, again, it's just shitty behavior that to me, that's, that's more bad karma than you not telling uh, you know, the only the only thing I'd be concerned about is like, you know, you don't you kind of don't want your son to just get away with this. So like, you know, he, there's got to be some sort of discipline there. Sure. And like, how does he he needs to know that like it's not okay to do this? But the neighbor is an asshole, so we're gonna kind of let this one slide. I don't really know how to handle that. But as far as your neighbor, no, dude, you're you're fine. Because it okay. won't end there. He's an unreasonable dude. Yeah, no, I I think it would be a whole new series of problems uh, if you did this. If you feel that bad about it, maybe you. Throw ninety bucks in his yard, you know. <laughs> Put it under his tires. Make sure there's no ring camera. Just in coins, yeah. Right, just <laughs> in, yeah, in coins. <laughs> yeah. Bury a jar of ninety dollars worth of coins, <laughs> and then you know it's not like he's going to be going on the Facebook community being like, "Hey, I found ninety bucks." So, uh, but yeah, don't yeah. be filmed because then it'll be like, "Wait, ninety bucks? What? What mystery have we un? You know, whatever." Uh okay. That'll be a uh, that'll be another life advice edition. There you go again. Friday feedback is Friday feedback rr at gmail.com for the post Thanksgiving episode. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Thanks to Stefan. Ryan Rosillo podcast. Ringer Spotify. I'm not a system player. I am a system.
Must be 21 and older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 800 8 hope ny or text hope ny in new york